Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ready to rock. Cool. I'm Let's ready when you are, brother. Cool, man. All right, guys. Welcome back to Growth Minds. We've got the great JP Sears coming on to the show to enlighten us with uh, his wisdom and his uh, and share some laughter together. Thanks so much for making the time to come on, man. Yeah, thank you for having me, Sean. I appreciate you and happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, we're in a very special situation right now. Um, it's a very timely time to have someone like yourself on to, you know, enlighten people and to, to provide some positivity that's definitely lacking in the media right now. How have you been personally handling this and have a lot of people uh, reach, out, reach out to you for for inspiration, for help. Uh, how's that all been going for you? Yeah, you know, um, yes, people have been reaching out and I'm I'm grateful that maybe at the very least I can shine a little bit of the, the light of levity and laughter uh, onto some people's situations when, you know, things are heavy for everybody. So yeah, man, I've, I've had a chance to jump into big Zoom meetings where people have me on to do a few minutes of comedy to help relieve people's stresses, give them something to laugh about. Um, you know, and, and I'm grateful, you know, more people than ever are tuning into my videos. And before we went on air, I was sharing with him doing live stream comedy shows every Friday night uh, yep. until the quarantine ends. So, you know, I might be delusional, but I'd say I'm, I'm privileged enough to you know, we have the opportunity to help people lighten up and sure. um, otherwise pretty darn heavy time. It is. It is. I, I, a friend of mine just sent me this. Uh, I don't know if it's comical, but it, it certainly it sh- shares a lot about what happens when two people or three people or whoever else gets stuck in one place alone. But uh, the divorce rates of China apparently are spiking up like they're exponentially uh, no kidding. increasing right now, <laughs> especially after <laughs> what's happening. It's crazy. You know, it's funny you say that. I was having a conversation with someone a while ago and a friend of mine had always said when you, you know, connect with a person, you start a relationship, travel together and Mm -hmm. it'll accelerate how fast you learn. Is this going to work out? Is there something deep here or like the stresses of travel? It'll just break you up sooner. And I, I think taking that a step or 10 further is be quarantined together. You get to really, learn about the other person whether you like it or not and yeah man i'm I'm not surprised but accelerating how fast people get divorced which in a way like cool let's look at the bright side instead of it taking another 12 years people found out in the last month like oh i don't like this person yeah just the prolonged extension of that state you know you hear there's like romantic stories or movies where there's a big snowstorm and two people that we're never supposed to be together, get stuck, and they fall in love. I wonder what would happen after like a month, though. <laughs> you know, I imagine that, yeah. that romance kind of flickers off after a little bit. They end the movie before then, just like Romeo and Juliet. You never <laughs> got to see them, you know, nine months into their relationship. But oh, yeah. oh, things, yeah. things get bloody. Yeah, I, I wonder, I'm curious to know how this will affect uh relationships and how people will look at that uh like are open relationships going to be more of a thing now after this just because everyone wants more freedom <laughs> could be well i'll tell you open relationships aren't a thing while the quarantine's happening it's that's like true. quite the opposite unless maybe everybody lives together but man you know i i think in i think the quarantine started off where people became willing to sacrifice their freedoms so they wouldn't die. So they wouldn't get mm. sick and, you know, probably rightfully so. And, and then eventually you reach a point though, where people are willing to die for their freedom. 
So because it's so important, like reclaiming freedom, it'll be interesting what that looks like. Will it be like, ah, open relationships. Nobody try to restrict me ever again because we have our, you know, freedoms taken away through social distancing, quarantining. And man, it, it really reminds us how valuable it is because I can share with you, aside from times in my childhood where I'd be grounded or detentions in school, I've never had my freedom taken away from me. And, mm. and I've always taken it for granted because I've always had it. But now, man, I appreciate it more than ever. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, personally experienced with any open relationships. I know a few people that have kind of dipped their toes in it. Uh, it seems like it's been on and off, but I'm fascinated by kind of the evolution and the history of just relationships in, in general, given that, at least from what I've read, this idea of monogamy is, it's, it's kind of human made, right? Because millions of years ago, the idea of, uh, you know, being in multiple relationships was almost like a survival thing, because uh, at least from what I've heard is that women needed to sleep with multiple men so that they can uh, it was like a way to protect their offspring because the fathers wouldn't know if there was actually their babies or not. So this is like a way to show them that, you know, this this could be your baby, this uh, this could be your father, this could be your father. So it was like a protective mechanism. So there's like and, a sense of, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just, it's fascinating to to kind of see this evolution of how relationships have, uh, have come to be. Are, are you familiar with anyone that's, kind of flickered with uh, open relationships? Yeah, you know, actually quite a few people. Um, and I live in Austin, Texas. And, you know, there's a open relationship scene here that's probably bigger than normal community. So, yeah, you know, a number of friends of mine here and over the years um, have either dabbled in open relationships, tried them out. Um, some are still in it. Never been my thing. I've never felt the call. Um, I'll tell you, like, just the idea of like some guy ejaculating on my lady, and then like, how do I pretend that didn't happen? So, like, is that jealousy, insecurity? Like, probably, like, that's probably <laughs> some of it, but that's pretty authentic to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, you know, I, I won't at all pretend to be an expert in open relationships because I've never tried it, but knowing a, a lot of people who have, and the other disclaimer is like, I have no attachment to someone who's in an open relationship or not. Yeah. Um, I'd say 99% of people I know who have tried open relationships, it's, it's become destructive for yeah. them. And, and that's their own report to me. I'm summarizing it and hell, I mean, but on the other hand, probably, 80 to 90% of people I know who have done monogamy, those relationships become destructive right. as well. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe the quarantine's teaching us humans aren't meant to be in relationships. We're meant to be in solitary confinement. <laughs> Probably not. But I'm going but, crazy. So I don't know if this is my natural state of being, JP. <laughs> same. But I think no matter where people go, uh, our humanness, we have the ability to screw it up, whether it's open relationship or monogamous. And um, I think we also have the possibility to succeed, but your know, relationships don't have a strong batting average. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also just on the other side of, you know, beyond jealousy, but for, even for me personally, just to even be on like dating apps is so exhausting and just to be like yeah. speaking with multiple people would be exhausting just keeping track of what everyone's saying and it's just yeah i don't know i mean i i feel you on that i've got my lady we've been married almost two years and dating yeah. before that and it's like wow i i don't even feel adequate enough mm. for her and just the idea of adding another ball or two to the equation, <laughs> I would I would pay money not to do that. Um, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot. Well, how have you guys been uh, navigating your relationship as this quarantine has, has come about? I imagine both of you guys probably lead very busy lives. You guys are always doing your thing, and I'm sure you still are. But there is certainly more kind of in-your-face kind of environment that, that yeah. everyone is dealing with. Uh, so how have you 
How have you been able to navigate that? What are some tips you can provide for couples that are out there that are all going through this right now? Yeah, man. Well, I'm definitely a person with faults. So here's my shaky newborn cult like tips. You know, one, I think looking at my successes, not my failures with the relationship during the quarantine, I think the more both people stay on purpose, you know, their individual purpose, whether that's their work, their art, how they contribute to the world, what fulfills them, each person's got to have that because we know no other person can be enough to make you happy. We, we just know that. Yet I think our inner fulfillment, that's got to come through our purpose. So when both people are pretty dedicated to their purpose, however they express that during the quarantine, I think that's the most important thing. And then, you know, I, I think good old fashioned communication is, is the other thing I'd mention. you know, the, I know I get into trouble and, you know, I get mad at my wife as well when she's guilty of it. When, when we have expectations, but we don't communicate them you know, she like I might be like, oh, I've got a big day of work in these projects. Like I'm probably going to be working till nine or ten at night. But if I don't share that with her, her expectations are, oh, JP will probably be ready to hang with me at five or six. Mm. So I found just like this simple remembering, like she can't read my mind. She's not looking at my schedule. So I need to be self-responsible and man enough and considerate enough to communicate with her my needs, what I've got going, and and I need to hear the same thing from her because I know when I've got expectations that I hallucinate, then she doesn't meet them. You know, unmet expectations, they're typically the source of conflict. So we're finding lack of communication leads to little forest fires in the relationship, and good communication uh, leads to more connection. And then you know, the other thing we're doing that works well for us is we're sure to play together. Mm-hmm. Like we've all got our, our stresses we can worry about, but worrying about stresses doesn't bring two people closer together. It doesn't worry is not a great expression of love. Like nobody's love language is worry. So me and my lady, we do our best to make sure we stay playful with each other whether that's going for a walk, joking around with each other, because, you know, we need it. And uh, I think we get closer when we're bonding through the currency of playfulness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I struggle with this as well. I mean, in terms of, you know, at least from a business perspective, so our, I have a company, that, but we're remote, so all of our communication is done digitally. And I've just noticed, like, the smallest little details, like not adding the exclamation mark or... <laughs> You know what I mean? Or just like What's saying... What's that supposed so- to mean? You don't even <laughs> care? Oh, he put period at the end. That means he's really serious. <laughs> just like small things like that, it, 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 it comes by... It just it puts a completely different message on it. And I'm sure in person, it's it's uh, there's a similar vibrance to that as well. And um, yeah, it's just... Uh, over-communicating is, is so important that... I personally can vouch for and it's the smallest things that where people can just be like it, it, you know it prevents that fire from continuing to burn and you can put out that fire because the fire is going to burn but it's just a matter of putting it out quickly so that it doesn't turn into a forest fire you know i think that's that's a, a, a wise thought and there's a friend of mine he said apologies are the language of connection so you know i i, I think apologies are man it's something i'm doing my best to get get better at and and i'm also learning i'm a slow learner i used to think apologies are only when i feel like i've done something wrong it's like i apologize and it's an admission of guilt but i think that's a pretty immature use of apologies to only use them then but now i'm looking at like oh when my lady's hurt or upset even though it's not my fault an apology can be an act of empathy. Like, oh, I'm sorry you're upset, babe. I, right. I can see you're upset. And that's not me taking responsibility for her emotions, but it's just like empathizing and understanding. 
Interesting. Yeah, I uh, I guess I didn't think about it like that. Apologizing when you don't need to apologize. I'm Canadian, so we apologize. We love to apologize. You know, <laughs> we love to say sorry all the time. We love to say thank you. So this is, I imagine the divorce rates are a little bit lower here. I guess again, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Just oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. oh okay, you didn't care. It's in our natural blood, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's fascinating, man. Uh, well, I I'm really again I'm really excited to have you on because of. I've, I've seen your videos, I've seen what you're up to, and I, I think your communication and the way you teach people is so unique uh, just because of this ability for you to combine comedy into every message that you, that you spread. And um, yeah, I guess I'd be curious to know how you've been able to meld those together. Is that just something that's been naturally, uh, something that's naturally been within you? as you've grown up or did you develop one interest and decided to stack uh, that skill on top of another at a later point? Yeah. You know, there were two different parts that took a while to unite where, you know, it's like, okay, here's a sincere message and here's comedy. They were two separate things. Hmm. And, uh, you know, what was it for 15 years before I even did my first comedy video, I was doing life coaching, you know, helping people help themselves heal, grow, get past self-sabotage. So really cool, sincere stuff and a lot of great sincere messages, but I'd be compartmentalized. I wouldn't, I purposely not let myself be funny because I thought like, oh, that don't discredit me, but I'd be, you know, funny in my personal life and always was as a kid growing up. But then well, I'll never forget October 5th, 2014, I put out my first comedy video is called how to be ultra spiritual and it was me sharing my perspectives through the language of comedy and my perspectives how people including myself lose themselves on the spiritual path and that was the first time i can really remember having a comedy and a legit message being united and just like the old saying the whole is always greater than the thumb some of the parts that unification, it was way more fulfilling, way more purposeful. And honestly, it felt way more like me letting those be together. So, man, yeah. And then the past five years or six years, it's been, you know, doing my best to exercise and let that unification and unapologetic expression of it grow. That's awesome. And what, why do you think, um, the combination of the two was something that was more of your calling. Did you feel that adding that comedy piece got people's attention more and was something that's more, was a little bit more relatable or what was your yeah. thought process behind that? Well, uh, I didn't have a thought process. So <laughs> I was like, Forrest Gump is like, oh, I want to make a comedy video. And it, it's just like, when I look back in hindsight, I can see like, Oh, that was a really effective way to get a message across way more people pay attention yeah. to it because there's comedy, there's entertainment. There's never the premeditation, but in hindsight, I can see like, man, yeah, that's, it's, it's way more effective. Hmm. You know, if you share a sincere message, some people are going to pay attention. But if you share that sincere message embedded in the language of comedy, like a lot more people are going to pay attention. You know, a comedy video is going to get way more views than a sincere video and, and it, to me, it's kind of like when my dog's got to eat medication, if I just give him the pill, he'll spit it out. But if I put the medicine in cheese, then he'll swallow it. Mm. So the cheese is attractive to the dog. Comedy is attractive to us. You know, comedy, it's, it's part of the language of connection. Someone could be in a remote part of Africa, or they can be in the U.S. or Canada or China, and no matter what the language or cultural difference, when that person laughs, we get it. Yep. We we know what they're experiencing. So, comedy connects to people, and you know, I I look at the case study of myself. Before I was doing comedy, I was putting out sincere life coaching videos and. I think over the course of a year and a half or so, I grew my YouTube channel to 2,000 subscribers. Super proud of that. And sometimes my videos would get over 100 views. Super proud of that. 
but you know, now, you know, as I've put out comedy videos, I realize like people want to pay attention to that message and, you know, the viewership, the subscribership, it, it just grows exponentially. And then the last thing, Sean, I'll mention on that yeah, yeah. is the unification of comedy and sincere messaging into a new thing. I call it conscious comedy. That's, that's authentically me. I, I by no means sit here and advocate like this is how people should do it. I was like, no, you should do it if that's authentic to you. Yet in my never ending journey of getting to know myself, I discovered like, oh, only being funny, that's not me. Only being sincere, that's not me. But letting myself be both and existing on a spectrum of that bothness. Sometimes I'm more funny, less sincere. Sometimes I'm more sincere, less funny. Sometimes it's like 50, 50, but you know, that that's been, uh, at a personal level, um, a lot of my self growth and self discovery realizing like, that's me. Doing yeah. Both. Yeah. And I imagine you had to make, uh, just, you have to probably experiment a lot, put out content, see what you feel is natural to you, see what the audience are more receptive to. And I imagine it was just a constant whirlwind of different, uh, but really just putting yourself out there until you can really start to like unmold, uh, uh, mold the, the, the character that you are into really uh, remove a lot of the things that you're not, uh, which is yeah. a struggle for most people. That's such a great way to say it. And, and you know, to remove the things that I'm not. Absolutely. You know, it's like when I look, at the beginning of starting comedy relative to how I know myself now, I didn't know myself then. So it's a weird sensation being a, a truer version of yourself for the first time, because when you're being your natural self, it feels unnatural because you've never done yeah. it before, not to that degree. So it's like, okay, is this me? Is like, am I just trying to be what I think people want me to be? And like, what do I really want to say? Yeah, that's like a weeble wobbly newborn cult just stumbling along. And, you know, for me, it felt insecure as hell and scary, but also rewarding. It was just so much lumped in there together. For sure. For sure. Yeah, it's, it's a struggle. It's probably one of the biggest struggles that people have because you grew up as a kid. And I remember when I, I was a weird kid, first of all, like some of the especially because I grew up in Korea. So there's, you know, growing up in that very conservative uh, type of society, when you're doing anything that's a little bit off, they people would just kind of smirk at you or uh, my parents were worried, let's say that. And I would, uh, I would grow up and I would come to Canada and, and you just grew up as a teenager and then an adult. And you start to kind of mold yourself as you see how other people behave or what the media is it's telling you to behave or how the education system is and i find myself and i'm still going through this i'm nowhere near close but i'm, I'm i am really having myself uh trying to force myself to unlearn and uh -huh. shed a lot of these uh adult kind of normalcy lessons that i've learned and try to almost rediscover how i've uh how i've been when I was a child and yeah, it's really tough. Um, and I know this is a big part of your content as well, which is just really trying to figure out how to, uh, be more authentic and, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. I think it was Pablo Picasso who said it takes a long time to become young. And, and I think what he meant was in the same sentiment as what you shared, trying to recover your childlike nature that authentic pure weird you before the conforming to you know getting parents approval society's approval modeling examples that aren't you they're just examples they're not evil but they're just examples and then you know as you mentioned like learning to drop away all the things that you're not and, mm -hmm. and i think at an archetypal level the phoenix rising you know we need the the fires to burn away the scar tissue of who we're not. So the miracle of our weird self can arise. Mm, and, you know, I, I think the challenges of life become the fires that create the feeling flames that burn away 
who we're not. There's a, you know, a wise man, Joseph Campbell, who has said, the cave you fear to enter the most holds the treasure you seek. So I think a, a cheat code for life is looking at the things that catch our attention, that scare us, yet doing them, there's at least a hint of purpose in them. Mm. You know, for example, get into a tiger cage. All right, that'll scare me, but I don't feel any purpose around it, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. But the idea, I remember a few years ago, starting stand-up comedy. Well, that scares me, like almost as much as getting into a tiger cage. But the difference is there is a sense of purpose there as well with the mm. fear. So when we follow that scent trail, like, yes, I'm going to take action on this. Am I going to be scared? Yes. Will I feel fear? Yes. But I'm going to do the thing anyway. And the fear becomes the feeling flames that burn away who we're not. You know, because, you know, get it, my own example, getting on stage to do stand-up comedy, it's an accelerated way to unlearn the conforming, being normal, because if you just get on stage, be normal and conform, you're not going to be funny. So it's like, yeah, the funny's there. I got to let it out, burn away like these restrictions and the fears of like, oh, I'm not going to get approval, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I don't think that's just unique to me in stand-up comedy. I think yeah. whatever it is, whatever your cave is, holds that for you because that's the treasure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, stand-up comedy is, is certainly a great example because you're getting that immediate feedback from whoever is, is right there in front of you. It's more than just a, a video where... Uh, you know, you, you can't really see the live reaction of how people react mm -hmm. to you. It's, you're, you're getting that immediate feedback. And despite the fear, you're, you're still going through it. And I think it's, yeah, I think you're dead on. I think, I think some of the most bravest people that we call heroes are feeling the same amounts of fear or, or doubts. And, you know, when you look at like soldiers in the trenches, the, these are people that are probably felt the same amount of fear that anyone would. But the difference is that they went and go ahead and, and yeah. they faced it and they did it anyways, despite the fear. 100%. Yeah. You know, people wiser than myself have said those soldiers or the person doing the thing that you're afraid of, but they do it and they're excellent at it. The, the illusion is, oh, well, they can do it because they're not afraid. Or the soldier, they don't have fear. No, the difference between a warrior and a coward isn't fear. They both have fear. You're going to have fear unless you're a sociopath. But the difference between the warrior and the coward is the warrior does it anyway, which mm. means once they do it, their fears get even higher because they're not avoiding the thing. But the cool thing is going through the fear is the only way to get to the other side. So eventually you're doing the thing and maybe it generates fear, but it's not a 10 out of 10. It's a two out of 10 because you've exposed yourself to it over and over and I think that's kind of like the 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 cheat code of being a warrior in yeah, life. Absolutely, yeah. And I think uh, I don't know you're a big fan of Tony Robbins. I remember him saying the opposite can be just as true, where you uh, instead of fear, you may feel a certain sense of urgency or anger or or jealousy or whatnot. And these are all natural human experiences and feelings that we go through. It's it's. It's, you can't just not feel these things, right? So the yeah. idea is to embrace these feelings. But the question is, what do you do with that? You know, do you let it continue to evolve and and destroy you, or do you let it? Do you have control over it, and can you can you get through it? So the idea is like even the best, uh, even the best people that we look up to, they they feel the same emotions, they feel the same thing. But the difference is, how do you react to it, and how do you? How do you subside it or how do you use it and channel it to do something greater for what your purpose might be? Mm, well freaking said. <laughs> that, man, I, I'm not a doctor, but a little anecdotal thought for me. I don't think anybody's ever been hurt from uncomfortable emotions, fear, shame, jealousy, anger. I think we hurt ourselves trying to avoid those emotions so you look at the self-destruction people do in order to avoid feeling the uncomfortable feelings. It can lead to alcoholism. It can lead to a passive life of zero fulfillment. In, I mean, the person's relatively hurt, yet 
that hurt is born not out of the feelings, but them uh, avoiding the feelings. They put their dreams on hold or in the dumpster because they're not uh, not willing to feel the feelings. So they hurt themselves dramatically. And so, yeah, nothing is as it seems. I think we hurt ourselves trying to avoid the hurtful feelings. And I think we enhance ourselves when we're willing to go into them and, and take action anyway and breathe through them, feel them, be vulnerable, but also take action. Yeah, oh, no, I totally agree. And, and that advice, I think, is more timely than ever where you have people that are needing to be in their homes and they obviously have to self-isolate, they have to quarantine, and a lot of people are not used to that, right? They're not used to being alone with their thoughts and yeah. they're used to finding distractions or call it or just being around people or going out or drinking with their friends to distract their mind from whatever they have to deal with internally. And I'm so curious to know how human behaviors or consumer behaviors and a lot of the people I'm sure you know in your life and my life are going to adapt and, and tend to be in this post-quarantine world when they've had a month or two just to be alone and to be with their own thoughts. Yeah, man. I'm curious too. <laughs> I think I, I could go really bad or been, really good. I don't know. <laughs> I know, man. It, it, yeah. And maybe, maybe both just depending on the person. Yep. I think uh, from what I understand from movies, like prisons will use solitary confinement as punishment. So we know it's kind of like hell on earth can be from just being stuck with yourself yeah. And then maybe people who meditate well or go on, you know, I know a number of people who have done these 10 day silent retreats and they are just with themselves. And they always say the first three days, it was hell. The next seven days, best experience of my life. So we realize being with yourself can also be heaven on earth. And it is just like, you know, are you choosing the blue pill or the red pill? And I, but yeah, I think we're living in a time where I don't know if it's intended to be this way, but we can certainly take this crisis to be a major wake up call. And, you know, we, so many of us have had the external world taken away or at least greatly limited. So we're left with, I don't know, is it going to be solitary confinement torture or the bliss of a meditation retreat within ourselves? Mm. Um, but hopefully, uh, most of us are getting the peace of mind by going inward. But I, I think resisting going inward, that creates the torture. But if we go with the flow and we surrender rather than resist, but we allow ourselves to go inward, then it becomes much more graceful. Then we get a little bit more heaven on earth. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, About five years ago, I, I did a similar experience, the, the Vipassana 10-day experience and I had a very similar feeling it mm. is uh you're 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 because I was generally an extrovert more of an ambivert I guess and I would find myself resisting to just being alone and it's kind of like jumping into really cold water you just your, your whole body is just like ah like what the hell is this and then within like 15 seconds or so you just start to enjoy it and you're like whoa like I can I can go a couple more days and a couple more days and uh, it's it's a very unique experience because you you get to think about things that you just would never have time for, and it just activates different parts of your brain and creativity flow that you just never even knew was there because of how distracted we are. And uh, I think that's perfect advice, JP. Just like embrace the boredom, embrace the the uh, just the idea of doing nothing for a bit, and just. Uh, embrace it and and the idea is like I, new ideas will flow through and you'll get a lot of new inspiration that uh, just was not there and probably makes your uh, other things that you work on and it enhances a lot of that I'm sure I think it does there's a, a proverb that I love it says solitude is the only cure for loneliness mm. and, and I think we can drink that wisdom in now or we can torture ourselves by trying to deny it. Hmm. 
Do you think that uh, it, do you think that would apply to uh, even like the most extroverted people? Do you think people can learn to become completely alone and to be okay with it? I wasn't sure if you were an extrovert uh, when you were a child or. Yeah, well, I'm more of an introvert. I, I, I can do extroverting pretty good, but I'm definitely more introvert. Sure. But, you know, I, I definitely wouldn't get extreme and say like, oh, yeah, people can just like thrive, be, be by themselves like for the rest of their lives. No, I, I think we're pack animals for sure. I think we need each other. I think the connection is important. And if we're just alone in solitude all the time, then eventually I think we can't journey deeper into ourselves because we need the mirror that other people are in order to go deeper into who's looking in the mirror, which is ourselves. Having said that, mm. I think most of us need more introspection. Now, a monk who's like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen another person for 40 years. I'd say, well, mm. maybe you need connection with <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we need both, but I think most of us, uh, our cups are uh, a little emptier on the uh, companionship with thyself, the solitude, uh, and anyway, during this mandatory time of introspection, we have the ability to partner with ourselves to a greater degree uh, if yeah. we choose to. Yeah, I mean, you could always accelerate that with some psychedelics, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if maybe, you're. Uh... <laughs> maybe. <laughs> have you uh, have I, I you think... done any experimentations with those? I yeah, I have experimented. I'm not a regular psychedelic user. I I enjoy the crisp, clean purity of just my natural consciousness. Sure. I really value it. Yeah, yeah there's uh, three experiences I've had with ayahuasca, three oh, with wow. LSD, three with uh, DMT over the past uh, 14 years. And yeah, man, uh, it, and I've had good and bad experiences with them. And like so many other people, I know hundreds, if not thousands of people that use them to a small degree, some to a large degree. And I personally, I view psychedelics as a powerful tool mm. and any tool that has power can be constructive or destructive, just depending on uh, your psychology, the setting you're in, the reasons why you're using them. Not the reasons you tell yourself, but the real reasons why you're using them. So, you know, I, I think psychedelics can help. They have the potential to help accelerate the journey inward. And I've seen many people use psychedelics in a way to escape themselves. Right. Yet they rationalize it as self-growth because like, look, you know, psilocybin, it's now in the new age community, this is a medicine yeah, you're using it like a drug in order to escape your own sense of self. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's um and people can't usually tell, I imagine. I um I went through not a drug experience, but I, I was I decided um at quite an early age I decided to book a one way ticket to Argentina. I was living in Canada at that time and I used it I thought was as a self growth. And then I did look back and I was like, I, I didn't enjoy the time that I had when I was in Canada. Uh, I dropped out of university. My first business failed. Like I, it, it seemed like more than ever when I was booking that trip that I was using as an escape. Mm -hmm. And um, not that it was a destructive thing. It still helped me grow. But I think as, as soon as I started to embrace that I was continuing to travel through exploration and growth, it, it was so much more fulfilling and it allowed me to, I guess, make the most of it. Um, whereas I think when you're escaping, you're just trying not to think about something else rather than try to find new things that you can really dig deeper into. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. I think escaping can be, I'm trying not to think of something and I'm trying not to feel what I'm feeling is going into oneself. It's let me feel what I'm feeling more. Yeah. Let me let me get in touch with more of me and let me open up to more of my consciousness, which can be in the form of new ideas or things we've been avoiding. Um, but, yeah, you know, I in in most of the native traditions that I know of using psychedelics, you know, part of the built in protection from 
abusing these substances and therefore, you know, impairing our self-growth rather than enhancing it, they, they would have a guide, a shaman. And I think uh, I'm glad people are getting more and more access to psychedelics. I think it's ridiculous they've been outlawed. Yet one of the shadows of that is now most people use them without the guide. So they, they don't have someone who's a step ahead of them, let alone 10 steps ahead of them to help them see their blind spots and say like, you know, Sean, um, you've been tripping on LSD every weekend for the past six weeks. You're, you're not using it in a way that's helping you find yourself. You're using it in a way that's helping you lose yourself now. Mm. So your psychedelic right now is a clean mind. It's sobriety. That is your step of growth now. So one of the challenges is that most people use them without a guide. And and I don't know for certain, but I do question whether or not it's in people's best interests to use them without a guide because right. we're, we don't know. And, and the problem with our blind spots are they're in our damn blind spots. And, and we all have blind spots because we're humans. So, you know, I, I, I have so much respect for the power of them. I've seen construction and destruction happen. And, and I, I care about people. That's why I'm, you know, I, I always advocate guidance, like legit guidance, not just Doug the molester shaman who's got a good hookup for the substance you want. Like, hey, yeah, that's not your guide. Right, right. Well, what was your experience with, uh, what was your first experience with ayahuasca like? Right? Would you do it in uh, Peru? Or I was in somewhere? Costa Rica. Costa Rica, okay, gotcha. And, you know, my first experience with it, I would call it a very beautiful experience. It wasn't life-changing, but it was very beautiful and, you know, a phenomenal shaman, this wonderful lady singing the Icaros and guiding us. Um, so much integrity in the ceremony. So it was a beautiful experience. And then what was it? I think it was a year and a half later, I had my second ayahuasca experience, the same shaman, Costa Rica, and that was life-changing. Way deeper, way more profound. And man, yeah, that was, you know, I wouldn't call that enjoyable. (laughs) There were times of, you know, immense bliss. Yeah. Uh, I would also say the scariest experience of my life was during that ceremony as well. So there was just like so much involved in that ceremony yet coming out, you know, the other side, I hear even looking back, it's been just over a year. I, I can see like, wow, I've, I've changed. That was life changing for me. Well, and what do you think the difference was the, between the first and the second one that had much more of a profound experience? Yeah, um, the dose. So, you know, so many of the variables were the same, same location, same shaman. And but the second time, because she had already worked with me, her as my guide, she Mm -hmm. saw it fit that I was ready for a bigger dose. Um, And I love that. You know, if I was left to my own accord, like, ah, I'm doing ayahuasca on my own. Okay. (laughs) Bigger is better. But, you know, there's just, you, my experience is I can let go and trust and have a much more beneficial experience if there is someone to trust. Yeah. But, you know, if we don't know what we're doing, it's actually a mistake to trust ourselves with guiding the ceremony. In my, oh, I get a little opinionated. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like a multiple day uh, retreat, or I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, but yeah, you you would sleep there and you would you would really go through the whole experience. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to show up for a few hours and then get yeah. the help here. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. I was, I'm, Sorry to pick on this. I'm I'm so curious because it's it's something that I would like to experience. I was actually planning to do it within the year, but I mean, with everything that's happening, I don't know if it's if it's the best time. But uh, yeah, I'm just so curious for people that have done. You've done it three times, you said. Yes. 
Gotcha, gotcha. And do you feel like it's it's a much different and more impactful than doing other ones like LSD or, or DMT, or do they have similar effects? You know, um, it, it's certainly different. Yet the effects, you know, the benefits. Um, I, I would say ayahuasca has been by far the most beneficial that I've experienced. Um, second on the list and LSD experience would be, you know, um, you know, that, that was very profound and meaningful, not just yeah. enjoyable, but very meaningful and enriching. And then, uh, my DMT experiences, the three of them I've had, um, I never got tangible benefit from them. You sure. know, the, the first one was like, Whoa, that's cool. Like, but like, that's cool. There's, I wouldn't call that benefit. Yeah. yeah, Uh, yeah. And then, and then, yeah, I had a a really horrendous DMT trip that was definitely not cool. So, you know, I, in hearing some of the common pattern, a lot of what I pick up is other people reporting in their own way, DMT is a hell of a rocket ship. Yeah. Yet as far as getting personally beneficial life enriching life changing experience usually you don't hear people report that from dmt usually that's more in the ayahuasca realm which you know dmt is what's active with ayahuasca it's just a much more longer drawn out experience than the 10 minute blast off with dmt yeah yeah uh, by the way, for the people that are listening, we're by no means encouraging you to do this. You have to be in a certain mind state. Do and... heroin. <laughs> this is the thing with your personality and the way the way I guess the public perceives you is that you're doing comedy, but you're also doing a lot of spirituality and 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 sending a lot of positive, inspirational messages. So, do, do people a lot of people get confused about whether you're being serious or not when you make recommendations? I mean, it's a lot of them are pretty obvious that it's a joke, but is there a fine line that people get really just completely confused on? And it, it, some do. I wouldn't call it a lot, but yeah. you know, I've seen videos of mine where someone will comment like, this was really bad advice. <laughs> and then people comment on their comment like, yeah, it's a joke. It's a Every joke. <laughs> um, I think when I started making videos, because, you know, I've, I kind of got like a unique angle on comedy, especially wrapped in the spiritual self-growth realm. Mm. So because I don't think there was a hell of a lot of examples out there doing it the way I was doing it prior, uh, in the beginning, people would get more confused. Yep. And, yep. but now I, I think I've been around long enough that people realize like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm. He makes jokes. Yeah. And he says some shit from time to time. <laughs> well, it, it differentiates you for sure. Uh, we actually had Scott Adams on two days ago, I think. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. He is. Yeah. And he, he I don't know if you read the book, uh, How to Fail at Everything and Still Win Big, where he talks about skill stacking. I, I haven't read it, no. Oh, okay. It's, it's a great, it's a great read. But the, the, the main premise of what he talks about is there is two ways, two pathways that you can become really world-class. I almost feel like I talk about this in every episode, but <laughs> every time I bring this up, because um, whenever I do find like a unique individual, this, 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 I see like a pattern there. And what he says is there is two pathways that you can take to become really world-class at something. One of them is to become um, like the top 0.1% at one particular skill. So you've got the Warren Buffetts of the world with investing. Mm-hmm. You've got the LeBron James of the world with basketball where they're just hyper uh, successful because they're just so focused on one particular skill set. And uh, the other way is what he calls skill stacking. And it's the idea where you take a couple of skills, two or three skills, where you are maybe the top anywhere from top one to 10%, but you're not the top 0.1%, but you 
stack these skills on top of each other until you get to the point where there isn't anyone around you that has mm-hmm. those same skill stacks as you. Yeah. And it sounds like that's uh, was was certainly one of the paths that you took. Where yeah, you're right. There isn't anyone that I can really think of that does what you do, and that's kind of been your competitive advantage in some ways, right? That's a beautiful way of looking at it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, yeah. And yes, that does strike me as true. You know, I can tell you I'm not the funniest person in the world. And I can also tell you I'm not the wisest person in the world. Yet when I take the level of funniness I have with the level of wisdom I have and insight, put them together, that is a pretty unique uh, skill stack. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan's like another example where yeah. – You've got, uh, you know, he's a stand-up comedian. He is in love with MMA and he's a great communicator. Um, And he's just been able to meld all these things together to build this unique brand that, you know, if you were to try to get someone like Joe Rogan, it's pretty damn hard, you know. Like, how are you going to find someone like him? He's just so unique and so different. And uh, I think that's why people love who you are and, and the message that you've been putting out, JP. Oh, right on. Well, thank you for reflecting that. And I appreciate that, brother. Yeah, yeah. So I want to close out uh, with this. We leave the audience with a small but actionable piece of advice that they can take uh, right after they listen to this to help them uh, develop their mind in some way, help them take action in a project they might be working on or something they're trying to improve particularly in this time of quarantine, um, if you could give them one small piece of actionable thing that they can do after listening to this, uh, what do you recommend? Yeah, um, act on fear. So not from fear, but act on fear. And specifically to make it super actionable, here's what I would challenge you to consider. There's been something that you've been afraid to let go of or afraid to start, one or the other. I know... One of those things, I know I should let this go, whether it's a a job, a relationship, a way of being, a habit, but you haven't been doing it and it scares you a little bit or a lot to think about letting go of it, or there's something you've been wanting to start, but Mm. it scares you. Is it a new hobby? Is it a business? Is it asking someone out? So letting go of something or starting it, but there's been fear holding you back. So what I would ask you to do is, Name the thing, name the thing. And by the way, like you, nobody's a sociopath listening to this. So the old, I'm not afraid of anything. Like, yeah, yeah. cool. Like that's an awesome facade. You're a human being. Of course you are. You might not be in touch with it, but it'll be there. So get to that thing, you know, you've been needing to let it go or wanting to start it, but the fear has been there. And I'd ask you identify it and then take immediate action on it. One step of action that would be my practical challenge. Beautifully said, beautifully said, powerful advice. Uh, so hopefully everyone is able to take action on that. Uh, where can people learn more about UJP, find out more about what you're up to? Obviously, if this is uh, timely advice, definitely check out the live streams, uh, the shows that you're putting on online. Yeah. Uh, but where else can people connect with you? Yeah, you know, my website, awakenwithjp.com. I'll let you connect in if you want to join me for my live stream comedy shows every Friday. And then on all the social medias, YouTube and all the places I am at Awaken with JP. Beautiful. And we'll definitely link that uh, below. So thank you, JP, so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And stay tuned for uh, next week's episode. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.